lot of times they were accompanied by instruments, as we read about and we think about in the book of Psalms. And so this is, uh, you know, one of the more common ideas and certainly what we're going to look at tonight. The second kind that we usually think about is didactic, which is we might call teaching, teaching poetry or teaching poems. That would be Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. When you look at Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, you often think about a father writing to a son. And so it has to deal with teaching. And so these are teaching poems. Then we think about the dramatic. We might call the dramatic type of poetry. That would be Job and Song of Solomon. Now, we, we once again, when we kind of translate not even just words, but, but concepts into not only the English language, but certainly 21st century ideas, when we say dramatic, we're not meaning that it's fiction. Uh, we're not meaning that it's kind of drummed up thoughts, but simply the idea that it, it has to do with, with storytelling almost. When we think about um, or, or a thought process, not fiction, when it comes to Job and the Song of Solomon. And then, of course, Lamentations would be poetry of sorrow or of lament. Again, we're kind of familiar with the books, but it helps us to think about the types of poetry that they would have been familiar with as well. Now, if you have your Bible and you're open to Psalms, put, put a marker there or your finger for just a moment and look at Luke chapter 24. Because one of the other things that we want to notice is, is the importance of the Psalms to the Jews. In Luke 24, in verse number 44, at the end of Luke's account of the life of Jesus, Luke is going to, or Jesus is speaking here, and Luke is going to record that Jesus said to them, Luke 24, 44, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in, notice, the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. The Jews divided the Old Testament into three major categories, the law of Moses, the prophets, and also the Psalms. I don't mean to, to toss out you know, accusations. I, I think we are guilty sometimes of maybe setting the Psalms aside. Sometimes some of the Old Testament stories are a little more encouraging. Uh, there are things that we can see ourselves in, and so that's good for us. But the Jews divided this, the, the, uh, the Old Testament in three categories, and it reminds us of how important the Psalms would have been to them. Not only that, but if you have your notes in front of you from the outline from the bulletin, we would notice that the Psalms are the most quoted book in the New Testament. Now, some people would say, well, you know what? It's the biggest, <laughs> so you got a lot of targets. Well, I guess that's true. That may be fair to say. But when we think about, there is, there's no other book that is quoted in the New Testament more often than, than the Psalms. Um, and really, a couple of things that I didn't get into the slides or into the outline for you. Uh, one of those that is, is that this book of Psalms has not only the longest chapter, Psalm 119, that you are familiar with, but also the shortest chapter. Most of us, I heard a preacher say one time that when we look at Psalm 119, that if you read Psalm 119, you can count probably, on, if not on one hand, certainly on both hands. There's not that many times that there are verses that don't mention the Word of God. We think about Psalm 119, we quoted it in our lesson this morning. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So of all those verses, there's probably less than ten that deal with or mention, that do not mention, excuse me, I should say, that do not mention the Word of God. We're familiar with 119, but are you familiar that 117 is the shortest? And then many people have figured this out, I've not done the math myself, but that actually Psalm 118 and verse number 8 is the midpoint of the Bible. If you were to open up your Bible, it may not be, as you kind of think about the idea of opening it maybe and laying it flat, 
But if you think about the, the words and the amount of scripture, Psalm 118 in verse number 8 is also the midpoint of the Bible. Now, one of the things that we often want to know when we talk about the books is the date. Well, I had to take that slide out because certainly as we think about these, uh, these collection of psalms or even songs being collected, you know, there is no date. There is no true date for it being written. But the other thing that we usually want to know deals with the author. And the author we're going to look at tonight is, I've made for your bulletin, for your, for your notes, many. There are many, M-A-N-Y, different authors. And this is going to be one you may not get everything down in. But, and it's going to throw them off. Uh, Brian, we didn't catch this one. Brian was helping me earlier. You may have to take, see if you can take uh, control there for just a minute. And he can pull that up. But there are at least about eight different authors that we mention sometimes. One of those is David. Of course, and if you have your Bible and you have flipped through the Psalms recently, you notice that sometimes they are attributed to certain people. David is one. There are about 73 Psalms that are attributed to David. Another one is Solomon. Solomon has two Psalms that are mentioned, uh, that are uh, referenced to him. One of the other things that I was going to mention was that some people even think that Hezekiah possibly rent, uh, wrote one of the Psalms, and that may be true. Uh, because we're going to come to the almost the, one of the largest number of psalms in just a minute. Asaph is one, uh, excuse me, is one of the authors that has about 12. The sons of Korah have about 12. And then Moses, this he man, for lack of a better pronunciation. And even, even Ethan, or Ethan in your Bible, uh, are all attributed one to Moses, this he man, and this Ethan. Now Moses may be the long, or excuse me, the oldest. When you think about Psalm 90, Psalm 90 is what is usually attributed to Moses, and it may be the oldest of the Psalms, if that is uh, fully to be the case. And then behind David being the first, the most common Psalm is written by that famous person, Anonymous. Now, there are about 48 Psalms that we do not know who the author is, and it certainly doesn't affect our thoughts as we think about it, uh, or as we don't necessarily have to know. But this is just some of the different authors of the book of Psalms. There are five main divisions. We're going to come back to the second part of what's in your outline there in just a moment. But there are five main divisions or books. And once again, I don't know about your Bible, depending on the version that you're using or maybe when uh, this Bible, your particular Bible was published or by whom it was published, maybe by the people who put it together. You may look at verse, excuse me, Psalm number one, and you may see book one written at the top. And mine says, book one, Psalms one through 41. They're commonly, it's commonly broken down into five different books or five main divisions. And what's interesting, if you've ever thought about this before or heard it mentioned by a preacher or in a lesson, is that it's commonly believed or thought that the five main books of the Psalms correspond with the five books of the law or what we call the Pentateuch. So what people sometimes say is, the Jews would say, is that God gave us five books of law, and now we have given to God five books of praise. I don't know that I'd ever thought about that until I was studying for this lesson, but it's kind of interesting to consider that that is, you know, kind of a corresponding number there. There's really not much else to mention when you think about these five books, but that is part of it, that, they're, um, that these are the five main divisions. Not only that, but I don't know if you have a chance at least to flip over to maybe the 41st Psalm, but you will notice that each book, 
the end of 41, at the end of 72, all of those things, each book has a similar ending. It's kind of a doxology, if you will, if you've ever heard that phrase used before. But I don't remember which one it is that I took this from, but it's kind of summed up to say, Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and amen. And it's going to vary a little bit depending on which book that you're looking at, but all five books have a very similar ending. Now, one other thing that I'm going to mention for the sake of time, just very quickly here, but if you're looking at your Bible, there's a chance there are headings, that there are uh, different headings and different titles, if you will. And so the question that a lot of people have or have had over the years is, are those titles or headings inspired? And it's one of those things that, unfortunately, I'm here to tell you, as we think about it tonight, most folks would say that we can't know for 100% certainty. It's hard to say 100% whether they are or they aren't. Let's look at just a couple, if you're open there, to, to Psalm 3. The third psalm says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. So, you know, a little more detail there. Psalm 4 to the chief musician with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. Then go over to Psalm 7. Psalm 7 says, a meditation of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjamite. What does that mean? What are, what are we thinking about there? Well, it's hard to say exactly. The Hebrew text, as it was translated or as it was copied over the years, the Hebrew text included them, these titles. And so maybe it seems to be that way, uh, but it's hard to say 100% for sure. Not only are there five main divisions, but for your notes tonight, we're going to just briefly make mention that there are seven main themes. Seven main things, themes. Now, these are not all going to be on the slide because they were a little lengthened. These came from uh, th this idea that there are seven main themes come from a book by Frank Dunn that's entitled Know Your Bible. Frank Dunn wrote a book called Know Your Bible, and if you're interested in ever studying these things more, I would highly recommend that. Uh, I've heard it mentioned by several preachers who think about, who have preached lessons similar to this, and it's a very detailed book that gives you a lot of background when it comes to the books of the Bible. Frank Dunn's book, Know Your Bible, and in that particular book, he mentions there are seven main themes. Let me give you just a, a couple of them here. Uh, recognizing the everlasting, all-powerful, all wise, all righteous nature of God. We think about how the Psalms are constantly praising God. Praising God's infinite love, his providence, and his goodness. Showing the terrible nature of sin is another one that he mentions. And even emphasizing the duty of repentance and obedience. I'll call your attention to that one for just a second because we think about the first Psalm that we studied this morning. The idea that we, those who would be righteous... Those who would be godly, those who would be blessed, or those who read the word, meditate in it day and night, and are obedient. So that's the kind of people that we need to be. Now, before we move on to some of our last points that are in your notes there, one of the other things that I've kind of added as we have gone through, as I was doing a little more studying this week, I want to give you about four different kinds of psalms. Four different kinds of psalms. If you have your Bible there, look at Psalm 119 with me again. Psalm 119, there are about four, well, there are more than four. I'm going to point out four for our thinking tonight. But there are at least four different kinds of psalms. The first one that we've mentioned is the alphabetical or acrostic. 
alphabetical or acrostic. Now, if you have your Bible, and even if you have a pew Bible, I grabbed at least one pew Bible earlier this afternoon and tried to look through a couple of those, but even if you have a pew Bible there in front of you, you're going to see that there are some words at the beginning or that kind of break up Psalm 119. That's because in the Hebrew language, this was an alphabetical or an acrostic type of psalm. You see, Aleph before verse number one, Beth before verse number nine. And as you turn through this long chapter, the longest in the Bible, you'll see all of these different words listed. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Probably most of you aren't either, so it doesn't mean as much to us. But when written out, it means something when we think about the idea of Hebrew poetry. So there's alphabetical or acrostic. A second one that we would mention tonight is ethical. Ethical. Look at Psalm 15, the 15th Psalm. There are Psalms that teach moral and ethical principles. Psalm 15. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle? Who may dwell in your holy hill? Notice verse 2. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness. And speaks the truth in his heart. He who does not backbite with his tongue. He who does not put out his money at usury in verse number 5. Nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. Most of the world would agree that these are just good principles. These are just ethical ways of living. And so another type of psalm that we might mention is the ethical type. Or that teaches moral or ethical principles or living. A third that we might mention in this for our purposes of studying tonight is the messianic. The Messianic. We think about the second psalm. The second psalm deals with the Messiah's triumph and kingdom. Psalm number two, you see words like Zion in verse number six. You see other things there. We don't have time to go through all of it that will, will cause us to think about the coming Messiah. So there are Messianic psalms. There are others besides just Psalm 2, Psalm 22, Psalm 45, Psalm 89. All of these deal with with the Messiah. So there are messianic psalms that we can read about. And then the fourth one that I would mention to you just for our purposes from Psalm 120 is the idea of songs of ascent or songs of degrees, depending on what you're looking at, the version you may be looking at. Songs of ascent or songs of degrees. We know from scripture that the Jews were to travel to Jerusalem three times a year. And so the songs of ascent were songs that were sung on the way to the temple for worship. Anybody ever sung in the car as they were traveling? That's a favorite pastime of our family sometimes, turning, turning up the radio or listening to a CD that we love and singing along as we're traveling. That may be something that your family does, that singing as you go. But let's even turn it further, maybe. Do you ever listen to you know, hymns? Or a CD or a collection of songs, congregational singing on the way to worship on Sunday morning. That's something that we usually try to do in our car again just to hopefully get us thinking about some things, you know, kind of thinking properly as we're on our way to Bible class and to worship. And so the idea of songs of ascent makes, makes sense to us. As they were traveling, as they were almost caravanning together, traveling to Jerusalem, they would sing these songs of ascent. Psalm 120 is one of those. Psalm 134 is another one. We could probably go around the room and, and make a collection, an idea of some of the others. You know, there's Psalms of Thanksgiving. We certainly read some of those. Um, one of the 
um, people that I was looking at as some of the thoughts for this lesson even labeled hallelujah psalms. There are a lot that just simply praise God using the idea uh, of hallelujah to begin or end the psalm with a praise for the Lord. Now, when we think about lessons from the psalm, the main lesson that I want us to think about, and hopefully is in your bulletin there, is that the psalms tell us a lot about God. I know that may not be the best choice of words, that maybe other words we could have used to kind of get this idea of all-encompassing, but you know, it's pretty common, we, a word we use even today, a lot. The psalms teach us a lot about God. We're not going to certainly look at each one of these verses. This is one of the, the slides for our PowerPoint tonight that you probably won't be able to make it through writing all of it down. Uh, I will mention that you're always welcome to my information. Uh, you know, if you, uh, sometimes if I do go too fast and you're interested in some of the information, I can send you the PowerPoint or the slides. But the Psalms tell us a lot about God. And tonight we're not going to touch on every single one of these, but just a few as we look through this. And there's actually going to be even another one. I wanted to show you the magnitude. Again, the idea that there is a lot of information. You want to know about God? Go read what the psalmist, the many different psalmists, had to say about him. We think about his eternality. And again, we won't turn to the references here on the screen. But God is not the I was or the I will be, but he is the I am. And so we learn about his eternality. We learn about his omnipresence, that he has presence everywhere. He is everywhere. He is everything. He has omniscience. He has omnipotence. We can keep no secret from God. The reference there to Psalm 139. He is all-knowing and he is all-powerful. You think about all those in the Old Testament who learned that. Many of them the hard way. You want to go think about God being omnipotent, all-powerful? Go talk to Nebuchadnezzar. Go talk to some of those other kings who were overtaken who maybe haven had power for a while, but then saw their power fall. God is all-powerful. We think about his changelessness. You know, it's actually in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13, that we read that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's God. He does not change. We go forward. We think about the Psalms tell us about his righteousness, his mercy, his protection. I do want you to ask you to turn to one. That is Psalm 68 there, his benevolence. Psalm 68 and verse number 19. <clears throat> we learn a lot about our God, but I wanted to know if you've ever seen this verse before. I heard one preacher say this is one of his favorites to consider. Psalm 68 and verse 19, we read about his benevolence. Blessed be the Lord, this is the New King James, who daily loads us with benefits. Have you ever seen that verse before? It's kind of an interesting way of saying that, of thinking about God's benevolence, who daily loads us with benefits. You know, we got a lot of troubles. We got a lot of sorrow. We got a lot of heartache. We got a lot of things in life that don't go our way. But we also serve a God who daily loads us with benefits. What a concept. And then, of course, we think about Psalm 119, the entire chapter that reminds us of the glory of his word. All things that pertain to life and godliness. How to become in a saved, how to be in a saved state, how to be on the path to heaven above, how to help us live our life to be a good spouse, to be a good parent, uh, to be a good Christian, to be a good worker, all of those things in the word of God. And the Psalms remind us of the glory of his word. Not only that, but of course the glory of his works as well, his word and his works. One thing that I'd like for us to take as far as some lessons, and this may be one of the best 
that you can take from our lesson tonight is that the Psalms take regular people or remind us and allow us to see regular people making God and his word a part of their everyday lives. Think about that for just a minute. One of the greatest lessons is in seeing men, regular people like David, make God and his word and serving him a part of their everyday lives. If we're not careful, we will sometimes uphold people like Paul and others throughout the Bible as great people. David, as we're going to begin, Jerry led our thoughts this morning and beginning a new study on David here in our auditorium class, thinking about a man like David after God's own heart. I can never attain that. I can never be that good. But here is David at his best and David at his worst. And not only that, but we think about from the Psalms, the last part of that, it's not just when they went to synagogue. For us, it's not just when we go to worship, but a part of our everyday lives. In the Psalms, we read heartfelt words of men who simply trusted in God. Uh, again, we think about even the titles. We see them in all different stations, going through all different things, praising God almost at the top of their voice, and then down on their knees in suffering and in sorrow. At all points, praising and trusting in God. In good times and in bad, God was ever their companion, their rock, their help. You know, there are a lot of New Testament passages that if I ask you, or even if you ask me, what's your favorite passage? A lot of folks would point to something in the New Testament. Obviously, that helps us because we live under the Christian age, the Christian dispensation. But there are also a lot of psalms that mean something to us. When you think about people who go through a time of funeral who go through a time of burying a loved one, they'll, they'll turn to a psalm. There's one in particular we'll talk about in just a minute. But God is my rock. God is my help. God is my strength. Obviously, we've made jokes about it, but we don't have time to look at all these different psalms. But we see that, that we, as quote-unquote regular people, can and should make God a part of our everyday life. The psalms, quite obviously, are not the work of scholars. In fact, sometimes if you read them, you know, you really feel the emotion of someone simply crying out, not knowing what to say. It's not the work of scholars. It's not the work of theologians. But it's the work of everyday people, ordinary men speaking from their soul, praise to an almighty God. Here's where I wanted to take just a moment and mention the 23rd Psalm. You know, a lot of people believe, and it may be so, that the 23rd Psalm was written by David later in his life. What does that mean? That means he had done a lot of things. That means he'd been through the highest of the high, the lowest of the low. That the 23rd Psalm is not this young man writing, but it is a reflection, if you will. A reflection on life and on God's goodness, both through the good times and the bad. Many of you have heard me say it. I, I use it a lot sometimes at the graveside service. The 23rd Psalm to remind us that it's not just that God, it's not just a psalm for the living, or excuse me, a psalm for the dead, but it is a psalm for the living. It's our reminder, if you think about a David later in life having gone through all of those struggles, it's our reminder that if we will make God our shepherd through our lives, through the good times, through the green pastures, then he will be our shepherd through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not just a psalm for the dead, but a psalm for the living. 
And so we can look at these. And maybe you've been reading through them. I mentioned this this morning very briefly. But if you were using the World Video Bible School reading plan that we put out back in, in January, it would have you reading through the Psalms at least twice this year. And I would challenge you, especially if you're using that one, to, to focus a little more this month. Focus a little more this week on, on reading and finding one of those and thinking about and seeing these ordinary people, regular people, simply making God a part of their everyday lives. That's what we're, that's what we're here to do. I mean, that's, what, that's what we preach for. That's what we, we study for. That's all we're asking is that you take something that you hear here and use it out there as you go through your everyday life. And maybe then it will become a part of your life. It will become who you are. And you'll be faithful unto God. I want to conclude with just a, an interesting thought. And you are familiar with a lot of these. But when we think about the Psalms in, and our Psalms, we certainly see a lot of overlap. The Lord's my shepherd, of course, uh, uh, Psalm 23. There are about three or four of those versions. If you're not used to that in the Bible, as you, Don's nodding at me because he's probably led the wrong one to the wrong tune or announced the wrong song. Most of us have all done that. If you open, they're usually all in the same section with most books, so it really makes you confused. Uh, but the Lord's my shepherd. A shelter in the time of storm comes from the 61st Psalm. Turn with me to just a couple of these, if you will. I want to make sure we look. Psalm 148. Psalm 148. Hallelujah, praise Jehovah. If you look at Psalm 148, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. All his angels, all his hosts, sun and moon, all you stars of light. You know what we should be familiar with more often than not is that many of them are almost a very word-for-word -word direct quotation. I'll fly away, Psalm 90 and verse number 10. Flee as a bird or unto the hills. Some of these you may be not as familiar with. But all of them come from the Psalms. Oh, praise the Lord. What about Psalm 95? Come, let us sing. You know, some of these are considered newer songs or youth songs, Devo songs, camp songs. I heard a preacher say one time, you know, maybe some of the older folks in the congregation weren't as happy. You know, they didn't like those songs. They don't know them. They're a little more, uh, they're not as familiar. And so they'll say, well, maybe, maybe we shouldn't sing those, you know, we shouldn't sing those songs. How many of the newer songs come straight from Scripture? I mean, word for word. Psalm 95 there. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us joyfully, shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. And if you know that one, then you realize that. Psalm 25, verses 1 through 3, and also verse number 7. Unto thee, O Lord. I'm not sure how often. I can't think now off the top of my head. We sing that here, maybe, or in our worship service. But our young people know it. Uh, Psalm 25, verses 1 through 3. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. And even verse number 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. Unto thee, O Lord. I will call upon the Lord. Psalm 18, and verse number 3. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. Straight from it. But we don't just stop there. As the deer, Psalm 42, one that we love to sing, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. Psalm 119, be still and know. There is a new one that's listed on here. We talked about this a couple of years ago in a lesson that we preached on a Sunday night, the idea, idea of 10,000. There's a song called 10,000 Reasons or Bless the Lord, O My Soul, from Psalm 103. And I'm going to ask you to do one more thing, and that's Psalm 51. Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. I don't know if you've got this one marked in your Bible, but this is a good place for us to stop tonight. 
What a great place to end. It's not fun. It's not encouraging in some ways. But as we're about to sing this song of invitation that's been selected to encourage you through its words, what a better thought than to think about what David says. I don't know, again, the Bible that you have. Mine says, Psalm 51, a prayer of repentance. To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Do you remember those words? Nathan, and what I picture, and I've told you many times, I'm not exactly, a, I'm a non-confrontational person in most ways, but what I imagine is one of the most uncomfortable scenes that we can read about, Nathan almost looking David dead in the eye, saying, Thou art the man. Not the good way. I joke about this sometimes with today. You know, people say, You're the man today. You know, that's a good thing. Not when Nathan said it to David. He was telling him, You're the sinner. You're the one who's done wrong. You are the problem here. You are the man. And so David, as hopefully most of us will do, and we'll be singing to encourage you in just a moment, if you stand in need of, of changing your life, we don't want to get too puffed up and say, oh, not me. No, I've not done anything wrong. Who are you to call me out? You're not perfect either. Now, David doesn't go that route. David instead hits his knees, as we might say, pins the 51st Psalm and says, have mercy upon me, O God. And you know the rest of it, verse 10 and 11, a song our young people love to sing. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Tonight, as we conclude this lesson and these thoughts on the Psalms, do you need to make this same plea? Do you need to consider asking God to create a clean heart within you? We are thankful for the opportunity to pray with you and for you. We're thankful for the great example we even have this morning to realize that we have a family here, that we are children of God, that our encouragement is that even though it stings, even though it hurts, even though it's not fun to think about, we should, just as David did, not only in the 51st Psalm, but in many others we could have looked at, went down to our knees before God and asked for forgiveness, realizing that we have a problem in our life, that we've messed up. We need him because it's only in him and in his son that we can find the forgiveness that we need. Do you need to become a Christian tonight? Do you need to come back to him? We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.